freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it on to our children in the bloodstream. The only way they can inherit the freedom we have known is if we fight for it, protect it, defend it, and then hand it to them with the well-taught lessons of how they in their lifetime must do the same. And if you and I don't do this, then you and I may well spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what it once was like in America when men were free. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Gun Freedom Radio, where we engage we educate and we inform. I am one of your hosts, Cheryl Todd. And I'm the other guy, Dan Todd. We're doing a series called American, talking about the can-do spirit that is part of our American DNA. Absolutely. We have been hearing so much lately about all the things that we can't do and all the places that we can't go, but uh, we're interviewing some experts in their particular field about all the ways that we still can learn and grow, train and connect and expand our freedoms in ways maybe we haven't even thought about before. And even though we're having some camera issues for those of you watching on video and we can't see Alan Gottlieb's handsome face, he is our guest today. Alan is the founder of the Second Amendment Foundation, SAF, and the SAF is dedicated to promoting a better understanding about our constitutional heritage to privately own and possess firearms. Alan is also the author or co-author of numerous books, including Things You Can Do to Defend Your Gun Rights and Assault on Weapons, the Campaign to Eliminate Your Guns. Welcome to the show, Alan. Good to be with both of you. Thank you. Absolutely. And uh, again, I, I'm so sorry we couldn't figure out our video issue, but uh, I think that, you know, the ideas we're going to be talking about are, are kind of stand on their own merit. So um, uh, I do appreciate you hanging in there with us. But the, the Second Amendment Foundation is one of the leading frontline organizations that is daily in court somewhere across the nation defending our legal rights to keep and bear arms. You have been busier than ever during this COVID season, Alan, and we have seen governors and mayors and even city managers attempt to prevent citizens from owning guns and ammo. Could you tell us about a few of the battles that the SAF has engaged in just since COVID-19 became a news item? Wow. Yes, Cheryl. Uh, actually, in the last few weeks, I guess three weeks now, we have filed over 11 lawsuits. Uh, I'm saying over 11. We filed 11, and there's a bunch more that have been written, ready to be filed, but the states, some of these states or jurisdictions have backed down, so we haven't had to file them when they realized we were going to file. So let me start with saying, uh, giving a, a rough roundup. Uh, mm -hmm. New Jersey basically not only shut down gun stores, but also shut down their background check system so that nobody could transfer firearm. In New Jersey, their private sales are banned, so every gun transfer has to go through a licensed dealer. And with the system shut down, nobody could even lend somebody a firearm in New Jersey. 
uh, we filed suit and New Jersey basically uh, backed down. We're still in court because we want to judge a court order so they can't change the law there. We don't trust them. But now the background check system is opened up and gun stores can sell in New Jersey. Uh, in Delaware, we were ready to file. The state had a copy of our filing and at the last minute uh, reversed themselves and allowed gun stores to be open. Uh, in uh, Wake County in North Carolina, the sheriff there decided to close gun stores under emergency order, as well as stop issuing permits for concealed carry. Uh, we filed suit there and he's temporarily complying with open, opening up the gun stores and, and issuing permits to carry, uh, but we're still in court because we want a court order so that he can't change it in the future. We have a similar case filed in uh, uh, New Mexico. Uh, that this week we'll have oral arguments on. We also have one filed in Georgia, and we had just had oral arguments this morning, actually, in the Georgia case. And the uh, judge in the Georgia case was sort of saying that, you know, well, gee whiz, the state's saying that they're not going to enforce the law. So if we want it, won't issue a permit to carry, but if you get arrested for carrying, no one's going to arrest you. They're just going to not do anything. And so we said to the judge, you mean you're willing to accept the, the state saying that they pinky swear they won't arrest anybody for violating the law? And the judge says, well, I guess that's what the state's saying. And then we said to the judge, well, your honor, I mean, that doesn't make a lot of sense to encourage people to break the law. And the judge agreed in all arguments with us that it doesn't. And so I'm hoping that the judge rules our way in that case. We have two cases in California, one in Northern California, one in Southern California. Uh, the deal with both uh, issuing of uh, permits as well as uh, uh, you know closing down gun dealers so they can't sell firearms, uh, and those have multiple jurisdictions, various different cities involved in, in each of those lawsuits. I think it's close to, to around 18 jurisdictions with both those two lawsuits that we're attacking. In Washington State, I think the uh, governor put in an order saying that you couldn't open up gun stores. Uh, we were ready to file suit. Uh, the governor has a copy. The attorney general has a copy of the suit. We're not able to file it because all the gun stores in Washington state decided to tell the governor to take a hike and they opened up anyway. Uh, and he's not enforcing the law. He's shut nobody down. So we can't go to court yet, but we're ready to file any minute. He may shut any gun store down. Uh, we have a number of other jurisdictions like Pennsylvania that we got, they walked back because they didn't want to be, be sued in court. So that in, in Pennsylvania and Connecticut uh, and in Illinois, they've rescinded and said that gun stores can, can be open in those states. Uh, so we've been very busy in the last three weeks, I'd say. That is just crazy, but amazing that just the fact that the SAF is active, right? And that you're you're on it, you're ready to uh, file these lawsuits on a given notice. Look at how many times uh, you just said they reversed themselves, they walked it back. Uh, just the the teeth of of having the SAF out there is very effective, and I think that's a great metaphor, just even for being uh, somebody that owns, you know, keeps and bears arms is that sometimes just the ability to back things up with an or else makes all the difference. And you're proving that in the courts with, um, with these lawsuits. Alan, how do you, how can you possibly come up with resources to do this? 
Well, there's two different resource problems we have here. One, of course, is the, the money to fund it all. But the mm -hmm. second was in this particular kind of case is if you already own a firearm, it's hard for us to go and argue that, you know, you don't have a means to protect yourself in your home and this law affects you. So for plaintiffs, we've had to go out and find plaintiffs that don't own firearms, that want to buy one and now can't buy one. So it's been for finding resources here. We can't, couldn't rely on our core membership, so to speak, of people we already know who own firearms because we need plaintiffs who didn't own firearms but wanted to buy one. So we, our resources have been stretched to the max, both in, in having staff uh, try to find the plaintiffs as well as funding this. Uh, and considering the fact that our office in Washington state has been closed down by the governor under the stay-at-home orders, it, we've been working from home to do this. Uh, it's been amazing. It's been 24-7 for the last three or four weeks. Uh, I'm amazed at what we've been able to accomplish. Uh, I, I think we've learned now under emergencies like this that we can still function and sometimes function even better. Absolutely. You know, um, that's just a reminder that for everyone that thinks that background checks are good for the public, just think about that. The, all it takes is for a background check system to go down and your rights are gone. Mm -hmm. You can't just walk into a store and buy a gun. If they're so strong about background checks, they should say, if we can't fulfill a background check, then you have the rights to sell the gun to somebody. That would fix that system up really quick, wouldn't it? <laughs> That's actually, we, in some of our court cases, we've actually asked the judges to make that ruling that if the government can't, quote unquote, comply with the law themselves, then we shouldn't have to do it either. Uh, and so we've actually asked that as a remedy to some of the courts in, in these cases. That's well, and again, I'm just so thankful. And, you know, getting back to that, that resource thing is that you, the SAF is a, uh, a donation based entity, right? Yes, and also right now, you know, like it or not, we were faced with the problem that because of the virus, a lot of people have lost their jobs or unemployed. We have an awful lot of, you know, blue collar supporters. I mean, our average donation is under $20. Uh, and so a lot of people can, are not able to, you know, donate right now, or they can't get out of their house to get to a mailbox to even put a check in the mail. Uh, and so, yeah, fun, funding has been a little tough for the last three or four weeks as well. But I'm hoping when everybody sees what we're doing out there and how important what we're doing is, that somehow we'll be able to make it through this and we'll raise the funds to pay all the attorneys. It would be nice to see if some of the industry leaders like the Smith and Wessons and the Rugers and the others would uh, understand the needs here and, and contribute. Have they been doing that? Well, they've been patting us on the back and thanking us for what we're doing, but we haven't seen any <laughs> donations yet. I, ho I hope that some of them will come through because quite frankly, the big, biggest beneficiary of our lawsuits has probably been the firearms industry. Mm -hmm. Uh, because we're keeping their supply chain open so they can they can sell and as you're all aware in the last month sales have been at record numbers uh and a lot of those people have been first time new buyers who didn't own a firearm before who now also by the way have discovered the fact that these waiting periods that they were told about far exceed what they thought and, and having a hard time from when they buy the gun to be able to pick it up and then the stores get closed and they can't pick it up. And so when they were told that it was easier to buy a gun than a cheeseburger, they're now finding out that's not the case. Well, and I, I think it's sad that people are having to find out the way that they are uh, when they personally feel that, you know, that need that, you know, maybe the store's going to get shut down. So I, I better get the, the tool today or, you know, uh, whatever their, their case may be. But I think that we are having a lot of hearts and minds being changed because of 
it, it has really hit home for a lot of people that never even thought that they would be in a position to want to own a, this kind of tool before. Right. I would like to just uh, remind Smith & Wesson, Ruger, and all the gun manufacturers that if it wasn't for the SAF, New Jersey, Delaware, North Carolina, New Mexico, Georgia, California, Washington, PA, Connecticut, and Illinois would not be able to sell your product. So I also by the way, I forgot to mention mention Massachusetts, so we have a suit there too. Right. Uh, so you can add Massachusetts to the list as well. Well, for sure. And so what would you say then, Alan, to the millions of brand new first-time gun owners who have made that important decision to purchase this tool, the firearm, uh, that you work so hard to help them to continually legally own, how can they, I mean, this is a whole different world for a lot of people, even thinking about this document that I'm holding in my hand, this big, huge, thick 45 page <laughs> thing that is our foundational uh, document, the constitution and the bill of rights. Uh, how do we welcome them in and help them understand the importance of, uh, a group like the Second Amendment Foundation and the work you do? What, 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 what is a, like an olive branch or a bridge that we can use? Well, of course, finding the new first-time gun buyers who are not on any of our mailing lists, so to speak, or, you know, or, or easy first to assess, it's a little difficult. Uh, however, a lot of them have been reached out to contact us, and they're recognizing now that when they tried to buy the firearm, it wasn't so easy, and there are people out there that really are putting roadblocks up for firearms ownership so they don't have the means to protect themselves, uh, that they need to be involved. Uh, so we're trying, we're trying to reach them, and I'm hoping these first-time you know, gun buyers understand the fact that their rights are under assault, and now they've sort of seen it a little bit, and they have a reason to stay active. Now that they bought the gun, they have to protect their right to keep it. Absolutely. Um, you know, the Constitution is, like I said, it's all of 45 pages. It's a, it's a very easy to digest uh, document. But I think some people feel like it's just, it's too beyond them. Like maybe they don't understand the language. Is it, you know, maybe there's a lot of these and thous and, you know, that sort of thing in there. But is there a, a good handy dandy Constitution 101 or anything like that that you could point folks to so that they can better start understanding and appreciating that a lot of these laws that have been written in, they might have been well-meaning when they were written in, but if more people understood this document, th those things would have never even seen the light of day uh, to even get to be written down as a law and then passed as a law. Well, everything you just said is absolutely true. Uh, what concerns me most is when judges can't read the Constitution and understand what it says. <laughs> and unfortunately, we have that in, in a lot of the courtrooms that we fight our battles in, because we have judges that care about rule by man, not rule by law. And they don't like guns. They hate guns. They hate the Second Amendment. And they just you know, rule against us on ridiculous grounds that have nothing to do with con our Constitution or the Heller or McDonald decisions from the U.S. Supreme Court. And so it, it, that, that's where the real problem is, is the, uh, you know, stupid intellectuals sometimes out there that, that don't want to, you know, look at what the Constitution really says. I want to make it the law as they go on. Absolutely. So we, we need to send a pocket Constitution to every single one of the judges at every single level uh, in every district. I think uh, that might be a start. Doesn't mean they're going to open it and read it, but... Um... It's pretty amazing to me. 
Yeah, well, Cheryl, I mean, one of our problems is we have a lot of biased judges against gun ownership on the courts. They've been put on there by, you know, presidents like Obama and Clinton. And uh, that's why, like, I'll be really honest about it, why elections have consequences and why it's so important for us to reelect President Trump, who's put a record number of pro-gun judges on the courts to help to restore some balance now. Four more years and we can wipe out a lot of the bad judges that are on the courts and, and stop a lot of these bad decisions. Because as you know, the Supreme Court will only take a few cases every year, and most of these stop at the appeals courts. And if the bad guys control the appeals courts, it means, you know, they kill our rights before we ever get a chance to have a real hearing at the U.S. Supreme Court. That's so true. And, you know, we say on this show a lot that we try to remind people that the Second Amendment is not a political issue. It has been made a political issue, but it is, you know, written down all of 27 words uh, the, the Second Amendment is, it's been written down in our Constitution, in the Bill of Rights, which is a, the firewall that says the, the government has to even stay on the other side of that firewall uh, about how things affect our personal lives. But, um, you know, the, it, it just doesn't play out that way in real life unless we pay attention to the political realm. You know, it is not a political issue. It's been made a political issue. But if we don't vote the people in that take this document seriously and vote out people who don't take this document seriously, then we end up kind of where we are now. Exactly. And so uh, I think my encouragement to every gun owner out there is between now and the election it's very important to be engaged, be involved, and, and get involved in politics and, and get out there and work for the candidates to support our rights. Absolutely. Well, um, every year, the SAF organizes a huge event that brings thought leaders together for an entire weekend to discuss our rights, our current laws, the challenges on the horizon. Um, talk to us about this event and, and how it kind of stands in this season of be, us being restricted to our homes. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, we've done this like, a, I don't know, for 40 some years now, I believe it is, uh, this gun rights policy conference that moves around the country. Last year, of course, was in Phoenix and your, and your neck of the woods, where we had about 1,100 uh, key gun rights activists from all over the country. Uh, this year, we're in, in, in September in Orlando, Florida. Uh, the information one can get about it, it's free to attend it's, uh, at saf.org. You can register and get the information. And uh, I'm hoping uh, that by September, everything is opened up for travel and we can all get there and have our conference as normal. We do have contingency plans to do it as a virtual conference if we have to, which is going to be quite interesting on logistics because as you're aware, we have, I think last year we had 91 speakers, I think, over the day and a half. Uh, plus some other sidecar events. And of course, the networking is very important, which you couldn't get virtually. Uh, but hooking up 90 speakers from all over the country is going to be quite a chore. Uh, and we haven't done it before that way, but we're working on contingency plans. My hope is, though, we'll be at the Marriott Hotel at the Orlando Airport uh, in Florida, and the conference will go on as scheduled with a record attendance in a key battleground state. Well, Alan, one of the good things about if you do a virtual, when you have Cheryl speaking, you can cut her off by flipping <laughs> switch. <laughs> That's true. That, that, yeah, let's not do it virtually. Let's not do that. But, <laughs> um, but I do love that that is a possibility in this day and age that we live in, that you know, we could do that. But I have to tell you, 
the Gun Rights Policy Conference is a must go to. And it's not just for people in the industry. It is for moms and pops. It's for the citizens to come and gather together. And there is no better place that I have ever been to for the networking, for meeting um, people in the industry, other speakers, but definitely the, the actual people who live in, you know, in that particular area, we've been able to meet people in so many different states that I otherwise would never have had a chance to know. And uh, it's really enriching. So I'm fingers crossed, hands up that, that I hope it goes off as, as planned. Yeah, me too. We've already invested a lot of money in it to be in, 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 in Orlando and Florida. And so I'm early praying it all comes through. We've not had a dealt with we've never had to deal with a situation like this quite before. Uh, well, that's not exactly totally true. Let me give you a quick story. On 9-11 that year, September 11th, our conference was two weeks away. And as you know, all the airlines shut down, the airports were closed. We did not know where that conference was going to come off at not. And the airports opened up just in time for people to fly. And we didn't know if people were going to be able to get on airplanes and really come and do it. And at that point in time, we ended up with a record attendance. And it was a great place for like-minded people to be able to share, you know, our philosophy and, 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 and get together and, and hold hands, so to speak, and, and, and push for our freedom in the future. It was one of our best conferences up to that point in time. And so we were faced with one calamity before we succeeded, and hopefully we'll make it through this year as well. Yeah, and you guys aren't afraid either. You even held it in Chicago once. Actually, we've held it in Chicago, I think, three times now. To be fair about it, it's by Chicago Airport, which is right just outside the city limits. Uh, but we like to go to places that aren't necessarily you know, pro-gun or great Second Amendment states because we want to take the battle to our enemies and expand the playing field, not work on a shrinking playing field. Right. Well, I, I really can't say enough good about what you guys do by bringing us together and that it's free. That is just outrageously amazing. Um, and Alan, you know, you are involved in so many organizations. You've got the, the SAF. You're also uh, part of the committee to keep and bear arms and part of the uh, JPFO. Um, did I say that right? Yeah. Yes, yes I did. <laughs> uh, JPFO. And tell us what that organization is. Used for the preservation of firearms ownership. And it was started a number of years ago and the founder passed away and other people you know, took it and kept it alive and couldn't keep it going any longer. And so the Second Amendment Foundation helped pay off its back bills and uh, basically keep it alive. It's now got its own board of directors. It stands alone as its own organization. Uh, and I serve as, as a key member of the board. Uh, and as it's, it, it's a niche organization, but it's a very important niche reaching out to a constituency that normally isn't all that pro-gun, uh, but we're making very good gains and grounds in that area. And it's very, very important. Well, for sure. We've just very recently um, uh, observed, not celebrated, observed uh, the Holocaust Memorial Day. And, you know, I just, I cannot imagine remembering that time in history and not feeling like, you know, let's do everything we possibly can, uh, including uh, taking our own personal and family self-defense seriously um, to try to prevent uh, a government from having that much power that they could do such atrocities. So I think that's wonderful that you're reaching out to that community. 
Now, one of the things the Second Amendment Foundation has always tried to do is to reach out to lots of different communities uh, and, and try and expand the Second Amendment base, what we call the Second Amendment family. And uh, we want to grow that family as big as possible. So we tend to reach out to areas of, of people that aren't traditional gun owners and try to build a bigger constituency base for the Second Amendment. For sure. And you do it brilliantly. And uh, the one other thing I wanted to talk about with the Gun Rights Policy Conference is, you know, leaning into that idea that it's not, the Second Amendment isn't a political idea, is that the rooms are filled with people from every conceivable demographic and everywhere along the political spectrum. And everybody, you know, finds uh, a welcoming uh, atmosphere to just come together and talk about the idea of our rights and the preservation and the re restoration of them. And, and I really applaud that because that's not an easy thing to do. No, it's not so easy sometimes to bring people of all kinds of different views on all kinds of other issues all, you know, all together, but we're all about the Second Amendment and protecting the right to keep and bear arms. And, and we put our emphasis into that and we wanna have people from different divergent views uh, backgrounds as, as participants and as supporters of the Second Amendment, because that's what ensures our Second Amendment is going to live forever. Absolutely. All right. Well, just as we go out, could you just tell folks how they can uh, find out more about the work the Second Amendment Foundation does, how they could possibly um, donate or volunteer, if that's even an option, and how they can follow all the wonderful work that you do? Well, the easiest way is to go online to our website at saf.org. And uh, all these court cases are listed there. All our activities are listed there. One can join and donate uh, online there, get information about all kinds of Second Amendment issues. Uh, and, and there's links from there to lots of other places. So it's a very important website for gun owners to go to. Uh, and of course, we welcome people's involvement, both on a volunteer basis or, or, or supporting us financially to make all these happen. Uh, and even if it's only a dollar, uh, you get on our, to our, our list and get our information and get our email blasts so that you know what's going on in your area and across the country. And it's really important to share that information. Absolutely. Well, thank you again so much for taking all this time to be with us and talk to us about the, your passion, your work, and all of the excellent, uh, I'm going to say results. You know, even the, the court cases you don't have to push forward, you're still getting results for those. And so thank you so much for taking your time away from that to talk with us today. My pleasure. And thanks for helping me get the word out. I really appreciate it. You know it. Thank you. Alan Gottlieb thanks, of the Alan. Second Amendment Foundation. Bye-bye now. All right. Holy moly. What a <clears throat> list. And that is in like, what did he say? The last three weeks? Yeah, just since the corona thing happened. People don't realize, I mean, the fact that they can just stop us from owning guns, buying guns. Mm -hmm. I know. Right? As simple as, because in our shop, there's probably once or twice a week that we have an outage with mm -hmm. the NICS check. Mm -hmm. So unless you have a concealed carry permit, you can't buy a gun. So the NICS check is the background check. And yes, people that say, well, you know, it's just so common sensey. We've got to have universal background checks. Well, one of the unintended, well, we hope unintended consequences because maybe people really do want the government to have their finger on the, the light switch of, okay, your rights are on, your, your rights, rights are, are off. Right. It's right? just a practice. 
get their practice so that they can learn how to do it when it's completely off. Mm -hmm. So sure. just be careful of that. When you wish for a law, think about all the, the you know, the repercussions that you have, because it, it, it's, it's, it's really sad when somebody needs to buy a firearm and they can't buy one because they can't do a background check on them. Yeah, that's terrible. And interesting to see the reaction and watch the faces of people who have come into our shop, AZ Firearms, who, if the background check system is either down or they're so bogged down that we're getting delays, for them to be told, okay, I know every other thing in your life that you purchase, you get to just, you know, okay, thank you. I'm going home with the thing that I gave you money for. They're being told, yeah, that's not how this works. And then, wait, what? I, no, I'm a law-abiding citizen. I'm a good person. I'm not going to use this gun for any bad things. I'm sorry, ma'am. I'm sorry, right. sir. We still can't mm. do it because somebody somewhere voted in a set of regulations, not even necessarily laws in, in some cases, right? right? But regulations that say, nope, I'm sorry. You cannot go home with that thing, even though you were a full-grown, responsible adult person who is law-abiding. Right. And you, you think about that. So you want to wake up today and you go, I'm going to go buy me a firearm today. And you live in Mesa or Tempe and you drive all the way out to Avondale, which is about a 30 or 40 mile drive. And, you know, it could be an hour, hour and a half drive. And you get there and you find the gun of your dreams. The price is reasonable. And you put money down to buy it. And they tell you, oh, I'm sorry you're gonna to have to come back because you're, uh, you're not approved. And it could take you know, three, four days to get approved. And then guess what? You gotta go home, you gotta wait three or four days, and then you gotta come all the way back to buy the gun. Now, some states would call it a spoiled because in California, they have a mandatory five-day waiting period, mm -hmm. at least as far as I know they do, so with the DOJ. Mm -hmm. So you buy a gun, it takes five days before you can pick up the gun. But we're, we're adults in, in Arizona. We're, you know, we're responsible adults. Yeah. We don't need mommy and daddy to tell us when we can and we can't yeah. buy a firearm. So, so when you do break that, that rule mm -hmm. and we have to wait, mm -hmm. it's not fun. No, it's not fun. And then when you talk about California or whoever, if they have a mandatory waiting period between the day you purchase the gun to the day you get get to, you're allowed to go home with it. Um, love that word, allowed. Uh, what if something like this that's never happened before, this COVID-19 thing, the stores are told, no, you have to close. Right. Well, now that five-day waiting period turns into months, maybe, months, maybe. Right. And what about the, you know, maybe there's a riot in your neighborhood or something and you just decide... I need to protect myself mm -hmm. because I'm afraid to go outside right now. And I know the police aren't here. Mm -hmm. They're, they're over there fighting the line. Mm -hmm. So I want to go buy a gun. And you're told, oh, I'm sorry, sir. You cannot protect your family. It's terrible. You can't it's protect absolutely them. terrible. And our founding fathers dang well knew all of that when they specifically wrote yeah. those 27 words. I looked through this today just to remind me there was nothing about coronavirus in here. <laughs> and there's nothing that says, if something happens, then this is no good anymore. There's nothing in this book that says, if somebody says that we have a national emergency, this doesn't exist. Right. But yet we're doing it. 
politicians are doing it and they're being tested. And when people like Alan Gottlieb say, hold on a second, we're going to bring up a lawsuit against you and they back off. Well, they didn't expect that coming. And so we just need to be ready. Absolutely. Love it. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you to all of our listeners out there who take these conversations around their dining room table into their carpool when you get to have a carpool again, <laughs> um, you know, on those phone conversations, on your uh, Zoom video conferences that you're having. Thank you for taking the time to consider something new in your life and um, really, you know, taking our founding documents seriously enough to um, spend the time with us where we are talking to experts who are imparting something to us to challenge our previous thinking or our previous behavior. I absolutely value that so much. And thank you. And thank you to Alan Gottlieb for spending the time with us today. I mean, he's got in three weeks, he's got 11 lawsuits. The dude's busy. Oh yeah. And he spent all this time chatting with us. I value that so much. And, um, until next time, Pray for this nation. If ever we needed prayer all across the land, it is now. Pray for our leaders. All of them? <laughs> all of them. Dan. Well, even. I was I took a pause here because there's a difference between I think there's a difference between a leader and a ruler. There's absolutely Okay. A and so so where I get clouded is that I know there's some leaders out there that are rulers by their choice. Mm -hmm. And so when I say, when you say pray for our leaders, I get confused because I'm, you're, it sounds like you're wanting me to pay for play, pray for our rulers. So, and, and I understand we're supposed to pray, but you know, my pr prayers are, are precious. I mean, we want them to do good and you want, you know, everything to go right, but there's some evil people out there who need our prayer. I, so, I guess so. But another thing, yes, you said carpooling. Yes. And I got to think about that. You know, I got two grandbabies. I got a truck. I get some plastic and I make a truck pool. Okay. So we might be rednecks. We might be a little bit redneck. Bring it back. But so you mean in the bed of the truck, yeah. line it with plastic, fill, fill it with water, water. And have a carpool. Right there. Truck pool. Oh truck. my stars. Yes. Yeah. Let's let's do more of less of that. But anyway, um just just quickly on the prayer thing. If you have people out there really truly trying to do their best to for their constituency and for the constitution they definitely need our prayers and if you have people out there that could care less about their constituency and and our founding documents and they just care about themselves and their own ambition they need prayer i don't want to go into big details with this but here's the problem with that hmm. okay so we have a politician that we need to pray for because he's fighting the good fight for us mm -hmm. We're praying for him. We're putting a lot of energy and we're praying for him or her. or her. Right. Then we have the other politician that is doing nothing but taking our rights away from us. If we pray for him or her to have a change of heart, to be able to, why don't we just give more prayer to the other guy and he go over there and kick their butt? <laughs> How about that? How about that? Okay. I'm, I'm going to leave that. I just, this is the, for you to work you know, out in your prayer time. I'm just going to I'm just going to leave that for you. But yes, all of them Dan, even the ones you don't like, especially the ones you don't like. Okay. Be good to each other. Have a great week and God bless.